Welcome to the Liberty Mom Show. This is Chris Kimball hosting today. Liberty Moms are the real secretaries of defense when it comes to their children, their families, and their communities. And we are so honored to be part of the Loving Liberty Network and uh, being part of this uh, podcast platform where we can talk about local interests and local concerns here in Utah. But these are concerns that are uh, that affect everybody across the whole United States. So everyone is dealing with issues, whether it's um, the attack on the family, whether it's what's happening in education, whether it's um, what's happened to our vote and the security of our elections. There's lots of different issues that we discuss here locally, but yet I know very well that these issues are um, affecting you as well. So I'm hoping today that my guest will be able to share some information that makes you aware of what we're doing here um, locally in Utah, what she is doing, and also to give other Liberty parents, moms or dads, wherever you live, the same sort of in information that you might be able to start implementing in your state. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, without any further ado, I want to bring online with us, Monica Wilbur, and she is with an organization called Family First. And so, Monica, uh, tell me a little bit about you and what this Family First is. Well, Chris, thanks for having me on today. I am a mom of four children. I am also a former educator, uh, and I uh, have been involved in education on and off, more on than off lately, uh, really for the past like 15 to 20 years. Um, and one of the things that Family First is about, uh, you called it an organization, and I guess that's true to some extent, but really it's more of an idea. And the idea behind Family First is that uh, we start to support the restoration of the local control of education. And by that, what I mean is uh, we're trying to reestablish at the most local form of local education or local form of local control is really the family. And so in education, that's really, really important. I think families got lost in the shuffle. And it's very um, critical, I think, at this time to realize how we need to reintegrate the family at the very beginning of the process when we talk about educating our kids. Well, see, that was my bad because we are so used to a lot. There's a lot of new organizations that are coming forward to really kind of help combat the, the battle that's really being waged against the family. And yours is more of a concept that all organizations should um, want to adopt because it does come down to the family as being the most basic local level that you could possibly have is the family, the construct of a mother and a father 
that um, have the mantle, the God-given mantle, to care for their children, to provide, to protect, to defend, and um, make sure that they're um, properly fed and clothed and nourished and um, spiritually taught. All of these things are super important, and they're best handled with the family. And so this concept of family first, if that could be adopted in every everything, every any piece of legislation that comes forward, if that question was asked, does this really protect the family? Are we really protecting the family at local level? That would solve probably most all of our problems, right? Oh, absolutely. And I love how you put that in, in terms of protection, because as an institution, it's under attack. We see it from all sides. We see it from big big tech and big data that um, want to kind of supplant the families as the center of the homes. The internet is so prolific and a lot of the media messages that are coming through uh, the, uh, through various online sources and platforms, they, they seem to want to alienate uh, kids from their parents as um, they, they communicate the messages that, well, if you need knowledge, if you need information, come to us versus go to your parents. Uh, we see it in our schools. We see it in the sense that there are, unfortunately, teachers and administrators who continue to sideline parents when they have legitimate questions about materials in schools that are highly questionable, uh, even you know to the extent of being obscene or pornographic. So we're seeing it in our schools, and we're seeing it in our government. I believe we are looking to government solutions to problems that affect our society when if you go to the people who are closest to the problem, which is usually the families, that is where the solutions need to begin. And so that's where we need to start. So I agree. I mean, the family's totally in need of protection. And when we put families first, it just shifts the mindset and we should use it as the, the, the first stepping stone to making all sorts of decisions, policies, socially, any other types of decisions we're making um, in our communities. You know, you brought up government as being a problem with that. And the most recent example that comes to my mind is what we saw happen in January with the county council. We had um, a couple of uh, county council members who actually are part of the Republican Party. They claim to be Republicans, but yet they, they, they not only violated parental rights, they also violated the platform which they have, you know, told voters and, and people that they support. Because in the party platform, it, it states specifically that, you know, this idea of local control, parents being, um, uh, you know, have the parental right to oversee what their child is doing, um, they, they just threw that out the window. And so we had two council members who had an opportunity to actually vote and overturn the um, mayor, Jenny Wilson, who had implemented this mass mandate, and they refused to do it. And they felt like they were smarter than the parents. And I listened to uh, one of their meetings. Um, they had an open session meeting when they wanted to try to do a mass mandate earlier in the in the school year. And these parents had personal stories of how the mask had harmed their children whether it was physical 
or emotional or both, right? And here was um, two council members. I'm, I'm going to tell you who they are because their vote is public. It was Amy Winder Newton and Laurie Stringham. And they decided that they were smarter than parents because they were forcing a mass mandate on every child in Salt Lake County and on, on adults as well, which is so ridiculous. Um, and so those are individuals that really do not need to be public servants because they have abused um, their, their role. I mean, they're not honoring the rights of the citizens, which is the proper role of government to honor and protect our rights. And so we, as we come up on election season, which we are coming upon here in 2022, we really want to take a close look at those people who are in office and who are um, really ignoring family first, which is this whole concept of what you're trying to instill on people and, um, you know, on organizations, on the government, is getting the idea that family first is the most local control that we should protect. So um, are you involved in helping any candidates or looking for people to run for office, or are you just strictly focused on um, getting your platform out there of family first? Well, that's a good question. Uh, first, I just want to say it's absolutely unbelievable what Winter Newton and Stringham did to families. They have no idea how many parents were put in a very difficult position with that, with that surprise mask mandate. Uh, and I don't know how many parents had uh, reached out to me saying, what can I do? Help. Uh, and to other people who uh, have been active in trying to kind of uphold parents' rights in the schools. And so um, there, was, there was a lot of panic there among parents. So first of all, yes, that was, that was unbelievable what they did. Yeah, actually, uh, for our group in, in terms of Family First, uh, we, uh, we know of, uh, of many opportunities um, that are basically um, opening up for candidates. Uh, Christina Boggess is one of those. She is going to be running for the State Board of Education, and she's firmly behind Family First uh, as uh, a spokesperson and as an advocate for the idea. And uh, she's one uh, whose voice we desperately need uh, at the school board. As you may know, this, the state school board is extremely skewed. Most of the members, when they make votes and when they uh, propose policy, it's not family first at all. It's not child first, in fact. It usually puts educrats and these third parties that, they're, they, that they've engaged in uh, contracts with and uh, union interests ahead of children every single time. So it's really important that we expand uh, the voices of those who, and magnify those voices of those who really want to, uh, uh, are willing to run for office. And, and I think that's vital that the Republican Party get behind those candidates and support them with every penny they have. So Christina Bogus, she, uh, we were actually going to try to get her on today, but she couldn't um, join us. But what um, district is she running in? Do you know? Offhand? I believe it's District 
Nine. Um, I have to double check my facts on that one. It's it's either nine or eight, but I think it's nine. Is it um, in the Salt Lake County area or? It is. It's it's in the Taylorsville. Uh, I'd say Taylorsville, Kearns, in in that West Side area, and um, and it, it has been redistricted, and so the boundaries have changed, and I'm not quite sure the dimensions that we're looking at but mostly over there in that area. Okay. Well, and I will I will put a caveat out that Amy Winder Newton is up for re-election in 2022. So this year she um, she's already filed to gather signatures, so she's um, deciding that she doesn't trust the delegates, but uh, I don't know if anybody she, – she runs out of a district, so if people live out in her way, hopefully maybe somebody will – decide that um, uh, government doesn't have the, um, the right or the ability, they may think they do, but it's abusive to um, control what parents do with their children. And so I'm hoping that um, somebody may want to, um, you know, run against her, you know, so we can get family first representative because I think that's what's important is we need to really vet candidates and make sure they are family first and when we see candidates that aren't that feel like they are smarter than the parent about their children those are those are dangerous people to have in office because they are totally um, wanting to control your liberty oh absolutely and that the idea of this uh, state-sponsored control of families is just its very offensive at many different levels. And when you see candidates like Winder Newton, uh, at, at one time she did vote against the uh, a countywide, a countywide uh, mask mandate. That was at the beginning of the school year. There were many parents who were very vocal about that. Uh, things really didn't change much in terms of the uh, COVID landscape, except for you saw, you know, the emergence of Omicron. But as with most uh, variants, viral variants, it, it wasn't any more deadly. It wasn't any more of a threat than what we've already gone through. And yet somehow, somehow our elected officials, um, and I think a lot of it's political. They seem to think that if they, if they are seen as doing something to solve a problem, then they're doing their job. But they have to really dial it back and pull it in and, and learn that restraint is really self-restraint is the most important part of self-government. And if they can't restrain themselves, I'm not exactly sure um, that we should be looking to them as, a, as an example of, of, of wise leadership. That's the key word. I, I was going to bring that up is, you know, a real sign of a leader is someone who knows when to take action and when not to take action. And just because you get caught up in the, the media and the, um, the case count, which has never, ever been a, uh, a measure of uh, pandemic before. It was just introduced with COVID as a, as the metric, but it's always been the death count. And I don't know of anyone, um, I know even with healthy children during COVID, I was at a, a conference, or not a conference, but a rally uh, two weeks ago in D.C. and with frontline doctors, and, and they were saying that there's no child under the age of 15 that has died from COVID, not just the Omicron, but COVID, that was healthy. 
they all have had some underlying comorbidity that they were dealing with. And so for children, it's been, all you have to do is look at the death count. There's not been a case where there's been any concern or rise. In fact, there's more children that have died of the flu. Where were they when we've had flu outbreaks, right? Right, right. And drowning too. I mean, the list could go on and on, right? But we're not drowning swimming pools. Right. Well, okay. So we, we want our listeners to know that right now is the time for you to be thinking. And if you're not happy with the way your rights have been um, abused and the way your children have been treated, you might want to consider running for office. And it may be school board. It could be the legislature. It could be um, at the county level. Um, it, it, um, I'm just trying to think what other local local school boards are, are having elections. So there's a lot of different places you could plug into um, if you want to help make a difference. And if you feel like your rights have not been protected, because honestly, that is the proper role of government. It's there to protect our God-given rights. That's its main Function. And unfortunately, even here in Utah, which is supposed to be a red state, <laughs> which is hard to really believe when you watch some of the bills that are coming through our session right now, but we, we need to make sure that um, we get good people in running for office. And I know there's groups that are out there to support you, so don't feel like, oh my gosh, I'm on my own, but um, we want family first candidates. Okay, and uh, and so, Monica, how what are you doing to get people educated? Now, you came to my home and, and gave a presentation, and you have this amazing PowerPoint that really zeroes in on the big problem we have in education because the children have been, like, left behind or hidden or they're obscure. You don't even realize education is about children anymore. It's all about special interests. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you combine the vast array of assessments, the integration of social emotional learning, um, all the third party contracts and involvement uh, behind those two aspects of education, plus government bureaucracy, the educrats on top of that. You're looking at kids entirely disappearing in the process and, and educating the public is key. People don't know what they don't know. Um, sometimes it's kind of like a splash of cold water. It's, it, it's a little uncomfortable to peel back the layers and to see what's going on really in our classrooms. But, you know, if you've been, if you've had your ear to the ground in any way, shape or form in the past, oh, a few years even, you'll know something's not right. Something is fundamentally wrong um, and really rotten in the state of education not just in Utah, but in other places. But it's very surprising to see how many outside interests have really infiltrated into our kids' local classrooms. And that's dismaying because Utah is traditionally known as one of the uh, bastions of, of family first. It should be, at least. But that's not the reality. And there are lots of things in this load of bureaucracy that are really keeping... Um, our children from thriving. And and we're seeing that in numerous ways. Uh, Test scores are abysmal. Uh, Depression and suicide are 
at all time highs. Uh, there's a lot of bullying. There's arrested development. We're seeing uh, heightened anxiety in so many different ways. Uh, and I'm not here just to, to preach doom and gloom. There, there are good things happening, but they, they're not necessarily originating with the schools. They're originating with families who are taking control of their kids' education. And that's really the message we want to get out is you have control. You have a voice. You have a say. And you have the ability to, to advocate for your kids. And it's your responsibility. You have one job as a parent. If not you, who? So, Monica, do you have any um, – do you – does your does – your, concept of family first does it get into helping parents as far as navigate through the um through the world of education because i know that they use some techniques at times that can really um bully parents that they are good at bullying and and uh, minimizing your concerns such as you might have a concern about what your child is hearing in the classroom and they'll come back and say well you're the only one that's complained you're the only one that's spoken about this, when in reality, they might have had 20 or 30 or 40 complaints, right? But, right. Um, are, you more of a, are you more about making people aware of the importance of family first and not necessarily the nuts and bolts of it? They can go to other groups to do that? Well, there are lots of groups that I think have espoused and come behind the family first notion uh, and it is helpful to know, and, and we can definitely point people to those different groups. There is uh, one resource on the internet. It's utahed.info. And utahed.info uh, has started compiling all sorts of information from different sources, uh, parents, from teachers, uh, from government records showing and revealing what is really going on in our in our state's classrooms. A lot of people don't, again, they don't know it until they see it with their eyes and then they realize the extent of the issue. And so that's a really good source to go to. Uh, and as they, as more parents realize that it's out there, hopefully they'll use it as a resource. So utahed.info. Okay, that's I, that's good to know. I wasn't even aware of that um, resource right there. Um, I do want to let parents know um, just in our conversation that if they do want um, perhaps more nuts and bolts on, especially, Monica, you and I really kind of met um, through um, social media, through the Utah Parents United um, platform that they've set up with the the different school districts. And so that's where you and I first kind of saw each other. And uh, yes. I think that's been a really smart move is to help parents get organized in um, districts. Okay. Because you realize you're not alone. Okay. And when I had moved into Salt Lake from Davis County, that's where I had raised my kids. I just wasn't sure where I could go. Um, Monica's going to stay with us. We've got a few more things we want to talk about with family first, but we've got a short break. So stay with us here on the Liberty Moms podcast.
Welcome back to the Liberty Moms podcast. Thank you for listening in today. I'm Chris Kimball hosting, and I've been having a fascinating discussion with my guest, Monica Wilbur, and she is um, promoting an, an idea. It should not be a new idea, okay? Those of us that are into local control should be all over the idea that family comes first, family first being the the uh, the best way for us to live within our society. It's the best way for us to um, grow our society and to um, really produce healthy, strong, vibrant children if parents are allowed to parent. And unfortunately, we have um, strayed from that, and we've kind of moved over into an idea that government seems to know what's best for our children and I call them educrats, okay, because um, some people that get involved in education feel that they actually know more about the children in the school system than their their parents, their parents that are around them, that have raised them, that know their, their personal little quirks and habits and routines and emotions, but somehow they feel like they know them better and they know what's best for them. And so we've moved away from the idea that parents really are in charge of education and educating their children and it's even protected in our state constitution but i know the the realm of the school board falls under the governor's purview and where do you see our current governor with education and making families first is he there do you see him as a family first governor No, absolutely not. In fact, uh, I believe it's Representative Melissa Ballard who is trying to move the school board entirely under the governor's power in in allowing him to appoint its members instead of allowing those 15 elected members to be elected by the public that they are serving. So he's extremely hostile and he's supportive of this. This is part of his one Utah roadmap. And he's extremely hostile to the involvement of parents. I believe when you had uh, the the incident in, in, in Granite School District that uh, last year at the board meeting, where you had a lot of parents who were super upset because their voices were being silenced, he came out on, on television and mocked them, criticized them, called them babies, essentially. Uh, without even bothering to see what was being done uh, to their voice and how how long they had suffered with their children in in being masked relentlessly with no exceptions. And if there were exceptions, the kids were isolated and treated as if they were lepers in their own schools. It's really ridiculous. So, yeah. You know, and I want to set, set the context for that particular school board meeting because – I mean, when you say that, that just is so um, annoying. And I mean, that's even a kind word for um, Spencer Cox to call out those parents because last in 21, they lifted the mandate for, for adults and government workers and everything. No one had to wear a mask except for our children. The children still had to be masked. And so all of a sudden, the mask mandates lifted in April. And yet our children still had to be subject to that type of abuse in the classroom when, as we stated in the first segment, 
there has not been one healthy child that has died of COVID in the last two years across the United States that didn't already have an underlying health issue. Okay, so COVID was not deadly for children, and yet the schools were still insisting on this mask mandate for their children. And so parents were like, hey, I mean, we did we did what you said, and now the mask mandate for us is gone, but yet we're still masking our children. So I just wanted the context for that because it was so um, egregious that they would ignore children and continue to mask them when they weren't even at risk. And by that time, all teachers had been vaccinated. So the story of, oh, my goodness, we have to protect the teachers. The teachers who wanted to be vaxxed had already been vaccinated. And so it was just a control thing, and children were being abused, you know, again. And so I just wanted to set the context. Now, the other thing with our our governor that I have a concern with Um, there's many, but this one in education is they and uh, his wife at, is it Abby? I think it's Abby. Mm -hmm. Yes. They're big proponents of SEL, social emotional learning, which is a really damaging um, concept and construct to inflict upon our children. And they have somehow bought into that. Can you elaborate a little bit more about how SEL fits into this education mess that we have? Oh, absolutely. So social emotional learning is a way of teaching attitudes and beliefs and values. And in this case, we're talking state sponsored or state approved attitudes, beliefs and values. And um, a lot of those are, are globalist and elitist and really quite racist and discriminatory in nature. Uh, they focus heavily on this idea of inclusion. And by inclusion, they mean, but they don't really mean treating every kid equally when they say inclusion. What they mean is certain kids will be treated more equally depending on whether they meet a certain social demographic that we consider disadvantaged or traditionally discriminated against, you name it. And really, that's that's the push. And a lot of social-emotional learning curriculum, ideas, uh, those are driven through third parties. Um, so what we would call like big tech. Uh, and the way they do that is they provide platforms, online platforms. They provide free curriculum to to the schools and sometimes they do make them pay for it but that gives them an opportunity to actively measure where kids stand on a variety of social issues from everything from restorative justice to lgbtq issues you name it so and and cox is definitely behind this in fact um it's kind of interesting because he has three key strategies that he's hoping to develop in education and in this upcoming year. And one of those is first, now, remember, we're talking education. We're talking, you know, presumably about kids, right? Well, his, his first strategy is to build a more diverse educator workforce. Now, just think about that for a second. Not a more experienced educator workforce, not a more... Oh, talented educator workforce, 
a more diverse educator workforce. So, and, and we know how that falls along. That, that's going to fall along basically affirmative action tokenism lines. And um, you know what? It's good to see people of all kinds teaching in our schools. But I think first and foremost, you want them to be qualified, right? And then, so, yeah, and his second priority is a unified data landscape. Now, this is interesting because he wants to understand what educated education-related data is currently being collected by Utah agencies, how and why it's being used, and what holes in the data exist. Think about that for like five seconds because it's a lot to kind of process, but the ultimate goal is to understand what kind of data is being collected on our children and through the education system. Hmm. Well, and the idea that everything's unified across the board. So before, if they gathered data, it was an aggregate kind of data gathering about um, the group of classes as, as a whole and not just the individual student. But now, and, and that was used just for the teacher's purpose of knowing whether the children were gathering, getting a concept being taught at school. Now it's gone so much bigger, broader, wider, and it actually conflicts with our FERPA laws in Utah, which is family um, your children are actually protected by law from certain things being taught to them. and um, But the data gathering, all of a sudden you've got workforce services that wants that data. What do they need your children's education data for? You know, and exactly. unified means all of the government agencies now could have access to it. Exactly, exactly. And, and data is power. Data can be leveraged, and and that's the, one of the hugest concerns about the direction that schools are going in right now because kids are being reduced to literally a million different data points and being assessed along along all sorts of lines that that exceed the scope of math and English, etc. They, in fact, there are programs. Right now, writing programs in the state of Utah that are being used in our kids' classrooms that uh, basically uh, have kids submit their writing to an algorithm that will judge them on their proper use of pre-approved vocabulary and on pre-approved ideas. And this is going on in Alpine School District. It's going on in Davis School District and Alpine School District under uh, the Project Topeka Initiative and in Davis School District under Summit Learning. Um, we, the, the state of Utah has endorsed uh, an online algorithm called Utah Compose that so many teachers are just running their kids writing through this algorithm. They, they, they claim they don't even have time to read what their kids are, what the students are writing anymore. How ridiculous is that? Isn't that just insane? You, uh, kids don't write for computers. They don't write for robots. You, everybody, when you write, you write to be read by another human and to be understood and to communicate. Um, that's, that's not the kind of training they're getting right now. Uh, I wanted to mention one last thing. The Governor Cox's 
third priority when it comes to education is school governance. He wants to clarify what the roles and responsibilities are of different entities in public education, including parents, districts, the USBE, the legislature, and then he puts governor in there, which is interesting since the governor has no real power over education right now in the state of Utah. And then to identify potential changes to fill any responsibility holes. Well, you know, parents are just listed as one of many, one of many uh, stakeholders. And that's truly, that's truly a diminishing uh, of the parental role as it should function in their kids' education. Right, because I think in the Constitution, it states that they have the primary role. The parents oh, have the primary yes. role. And the, and the schools would just be supporting what the parents want. And uh, it's, it's interesting because I, I think the union is having quite a, a shock this session because um, there's some bills that are parental, that are family first. Okay, I'll call it family first. There's a bill that I heard that uh, Senator Johnson is, going, is planning to run, and it allows, so great, it allows parents the ability to sue the school board when the school board ignores their um, the constitutional rights and they're not following the law and so many times they are implementing policy and curriculum that doesn't even follow the state law and so this would give a parent recourse to go in and sue them and Monica I don't know if you were at the um, the public hearing they had for the civics curriculum that they had I wasn't at that one, no. Okay, so they wanted public input about the civics curriculum, and and specifically in Utah law, it states that you have to teach certain parts of the Constitution and certain things. Well, it's not in the standards. It's not in these civic standards. And um, as the, a few of us were there to actually point that out, but most of it was a, a session for people to um, explain and talk about how they've been victims in the education system system but uh it's it's interesting that they the legislators are listening to their constituents they've heard their constituents complain that the families the parents have no say in education and so this particular bill um they're not looking for fr- frivolous lawsuits they want it to be valid concerns about the curriculum but if the curriculum they're they're producing doesn't match state code the parents can sue i think that's fantastic I think that's great. And Chris, I would even take it a step further. I think there are a lot of violations of state law that are prima facie. That means on the face, it's obvious. Like a parent shouldn't have to launch a lawsuit in order to, to say, look, you are you you have a political, a politicized display. You have an LGBTQ, et cetera, flag hanging up in probably every other classroom in some of these schools. Uh, you shouldn't have to sue in order to get a display like that. And by, by the way, that is both against state law and board rule, which has the effect of law. So you should be able to get stuff like that just taken down by saying, look, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't jive with state code. How about you take it down? That's the kind of power we should really be returning and restoring to parents is the idea that if you can cite code and you can 
point to the scoreboard and say, look, this is what's actually going on. This is the reality of it. Uh, they should honor that and they should hold themselves to a higher standard. I, in, Monica, you are absolutely correct. I so agree with you. It's interesting, though, where we now have board members who have accepted money from unions, the school, the school unions, and so they feel now that they're obligated because they've taken money to, to toe the line. And they just feel like we can just ignore these parents. They'll go away. They're mad right now, but eventually they'll forget and go away. And that's, that's what they're counting on. So I agree. We, we do have a system that's broken. And the more parents can get educated on, on the Utah code, on even federal code, because um, really the law is on our side. It really is if we know the law. And that's the problem is most of the times we don't know. And especially when they're passing, oh, my goodness, 500 bills get passed into law every session on average. And how do you stay on top of that? And for the most part, the bills that tie into education have no meat in them. So which means if the education world, the the districts and the schools ignore the law or don't even know about it or choose to overlook it, there's no penalty. No, no harm, no foul. Oh, that is absolutely one of the, the crucial problems we are dealing with. There are no teeth to the beautiful existing law that we have on the books. And, and it takes a long time for even a, a, a valid complaint about a teacher to kind of work itself through the system. And sometimes those complaints just get kicked back. You, back. You can, you can file a complaint with the USBE's internal audit department, but we've seen records that show uh, a complaint that's gone to the teacher, to the principal, to the district, to the, to the USBE internal audit department. And the USBE's internal audit department basically looked at the complaint and said, well, you know, um, this really is, is a district issue. We're just going to kick it back to the district again. When, you know, the district's just covering, covering itself, basically protecting its own. Um, and the parent had a, a legitimate a legitimate grievance concerning the safety of his child. So, you know, you see this and you realize there, there do need to be, there do need to be real consequences for when the law is broken. And personally, I believe, you know, the responsibility for making sure that educators and uh, educators and staff follow the law, that the burden should be on administrators and the administrators need to demonstrate again leadership because that's woefully missing and and they need to be the ones who are held accountable and responsible for the messages they send down through the schools right if they're the administrators then the buck stops with them and they need to convey um educate in fact that it's a great idea i mean it's, it shouldn't just be like wow what a great great thing we just thought of but it, it would be up to the administrators to really know what bills were passed during a session. They should follow that. And they should know specifically what applies to their world of education so that they can educate everyone down in, to the classroom level with teachers. 
and, and let them know that this is what we do now or you can't do this or now you can do this, whatever that is. But I know when I was up in Davis County, we had, <laughs> it's, it's illegal, it's against the law, although there's no teeth in it, but, you know, teachers can't um, tell or try to influence your children on how to vote or, you know, send, and that happened with some of my kids, they'd come home and They'd be talking about certain candidates, and I go, "What? Where's this coming from?" Well, my teacher, da da da, and we actually found a elementary school in Davis County where a parent had taken a picture, but there were campaign signs for their UEA candidate in the teacher's break room, and that was the little campaign headquarters for this little um, person or this uh, candidate that was running for office. So it was happening right on public property, taxpayer money. They are meeting and helping this candidate run for office on our tax dollar. Okay. And that got exposed and nothing happened. I mean, nobody, oh, oh, we didn't know. I'm sorry. That sort of thing. What they've been doing it for years. So that we are missing the meat and the teeth in, um, not the meat, but the teeth in our laws. And that would be a great thing to just go in and, and add consequences. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the the pathetic mea culpas, the, oh, I'm sorry, not sorries. Uh, after a while, parents see through those. And it doesn't take them very long to realize that their voices aren't heard. And real consequences are needed. I know that uh, some states like North Carolina, I believe their lieutenant governor, Mark Robinson, he instituted a parental task force to address complaints by parents, and it's overseen by parents. It's not just a task force that's just an extension of existing edu- educational bureaucracy. It's a parent-led task force. We could desperately use something like that here in Utah. Um, we could desperately use an ombudsman, uh, somebody who is independent, and not under the purview of the Utah State Board of Education, but somebody who could come in and be able to mediate disputes again. So that, you know, just to add just an extra layer of security for parents and to really prove what the law states it stands behind, which is parents um, being supported and involved at every stage of their children's education there are lots of creative ways we can make this work and not just creative, but I believe effective too. Well, you've brought up some, actually some very good ideas for some solutions and some safeguards to make sure that the family is, is first. And I love the idea of the ombudsman, the, the independent outside, you know, person that's not got any vested um, interest in education overlooking also the parent committee because what we've seen happen in the past is when they create these parent committees is that the legislature they have so many stakeholders that they allow some of the stakeholders to be involved and then a handful of parents and then when the parents see the problem they they go oh yeah we'll take care of it and then it never comes back to the parents again it just gets hidden away and and so it's a true parent commission would be ideal. So we're finishing up here, Monica, in the last 40 seconds or so. Is there any place we could send our listeners to where they could connect with you and maybe have you do a presentation or they can learn more? 
Uh, absolutely. Um, well, first thing they can do is they can send a text to this number, 81010, and send the message at FAM First Utah. That's F-A-M-F-I-R-S-T U-T. Sorry, it's not FAM First Utah. It's FAM First U-T. And if they do that, um, we can put them in touch with information. Okay. Well, that's the slickest way to do it. Monica, thank you for all your work. Thank you for bringing Family First to everyone's awareness. And uh, we hope to have you back on later to get an update of what's going on. But thank you again for helping us. And thank you for listening to the Liberty Moms podcast. Go out and um, stand for liberty. It's worth every effort. 